بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته So uh, welcome back after two weeks and um, for those of you who weren't here what we did last week was cover the first ayah of Surah Al-Baqarah Alif Lam Mim Inshallah today we're going to uh, move on Inshallah I don't know how much we're going to cover it really depends on the flow so no pressure Inshallah okay so just to kind of wrap up what we talked about, we talked about the fact that يعني, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off the Qur'an in such a beautiful way by giving us some orientation, some student orientation on how our attitude should be towards learning. And of course the, the number one uh, attitude should be humility, right? Humility that this book is different than all the other books. It's, it's a divine source of knowledge and therefore our attitude towards it should be also, uh, you know, a humble attitude. We should respect the fact that the Quran is the authority. Um, we also talked about the fact that who really benefits from the Quran is people who sincerely seek guidance. If you're going to approach the Quran with a critic mentality or with a mentality of, or with a corrupt mentality, now you're seeking to find contradictions, you're seeking to find justification for your wrongdoings, then you will find, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Right? So Allah misguides with it many and He guides with it many and He only misguides with it those who are inherently corrupt. Okay? And then we also talked about this idea of Allah started off with a mutashabih ayah. An ayah that really doesn't have like a black and white answer. And so another beautiful gem was that there will be things in the Quran that we don't understand. And we just have to ex- accept that as, uh, as it is, without adding uh, any questions, without... Because what Allah is trying to say here is that your knowledge will always be limited, and so know your place, right? Know your intellectual capabilities. Your, lim- your knowledge is always going to be limited, and so uh, don't get lost in the details. And prioritize. Don't focus on the mutashabihat. Don't spend 20 years trying to, trying to study alif lam mim. No, move on, right? If there's something you don't understand... Move on. But then we also talked about some cool discoveries about like Alif Lam Mim and so you can refer to the recordings. But today I want to move on inshallah and before we actually uh, go forward I wanted to share with you like the overall structure of Surah Al-Baqarah which is I think very important for us to uh, be aware of as we study the surah because it gives you like a helicopter view of the entire surah. Now Surah Al-Baqarah is how many verses? Yeah, 2, 8, 6, yes, right? So 1, 4, 3 times 2, very good. Easy to remember, 1, 4, 3, I love you, right? Yes, I love you times 2. So Surah Al-Baqarah is 286 ayat, and it was revealed over what? About 10 years. Was it revealed altogether? No. Was it revealed in chronological order? No, right? There were, like, ayat were being revealed here and there, and over a period of 10 years, the Prophet was given this gift of Surah Al-Baqarah. But what I want to share with you is how remarkably this surah is structured. It's really mind-blowing when you, when you study this stuff. Because, you, you, know, you know, the Prophet didn't have Excel back then. He didn't have editors. He didn't have a team who were doing copying and pasting and editing. No. And even the people who, the Sahaba who, who used to write, they didn't have Blanco back then. They didn't have, like, printers or none of that, right? No backspace. Once you write something on a leaf or on a, on a, or on a skin of leather or on a piece of rock, it's, it's done, right? It's, it's there. So this, this concept of editing and putting everything together is just 
humanly impossible. Right? And inshallah, that's what we're going to see. So, an average person who would start reading Surah Al-Baqarah, like, I'm going sh to show you how the topics change, which may look like it's very jumbled up, like spaghetti. Okay? So Allah starts off part one. By the way, there's nine parts. Okay? Think of it as nine sections of Surah Al-Baqarah. Section number one talks about three groups. Any guesses what the three groups are? Anyone familiar? So it really talks about the believers in about five ayat. The disbelievers. So on one extreme you have believers, five ayat. Disbelievers, two ayat. And then 12 ayat talking about those who are in between. What do we call them? Munafiqoon or hypocrites. Those who claim to be believers but they uh, hide their reality. Right. So there's three groups from ayah number one to ayah number 20. And then Allah all of a sudden moves to the story of Adam and Iblis. The creation of Adam alayhi salam. And then part three is really like a discussion about Ya Bani Israel, the, the children of Israel. A very, very long section, about 60 verses, right? Talking about the history of Bani Israel and um, how Prophet Musa السلام, struggled with them, right? Every time Allah would give them favors, they would be ungrateful, they wouldn't follow Musa, السلام, they would give him a very hard time. Um, and then of course, the, the topic then in, in part four changes all of a sudden to Ibrahim and, and the discussion of him uh, being tested with his family, with his father, and then you know, him building the Kaaba with his uh, son Ismail, and also Yaqub and other uh, you know, people who were part of his lineage. Then section number five talks about the Qibla shifting. You know the Muslims used to pray towards Jerusalem and then they were commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to shift to who? To the Kaaba in Mecca, right? Okay, so that's section number five. And then section number six, the, ad the address changes to the Muslims all of a sudden. Ya ayyuhalladina amanu. Okay, so it's talking, about, it's talking to the Muslims in this section here. Then section number seven talks about a bunch of Sharia laws. Laws, laws, laws. Laws of inheritance, laws of divorce, laws to do with uh, fighting, um, social laws. Ramadan, fasting, hajj, zakat, all of these laws, right? Okay, that's number seven. And then number eight, really money matters, stuff to do with money, spending, uh, the, the prohibition of riba, and how to do business, okay? Uh, and then the last section is really a dua. It's two ayat that were actually revealed up above the seven heavens. These are the final duas that are recommended to be recited before you sleep. Get really good night's sleep if you recite these and of course if you understand what they mean so what do you think S looks pretty confusing right I mean what's the connection how is it going from one topic to another what's the flow right and wallahi for like even non-muslims especially critics of the Quran they actually use this as an argument against the Quran and they say to the Muslims what book do you claim to be divine and this book that's all jumbled up that doesn't even make sense Yani Shakespeare can write better than this. Take any other book, how is it written? It's written in logical order, right? It starts off with an introduction, and then the, the author builds up his argument, and then there's a nice conclusion to end the book. And that's logically the way you're supposed to write a book in order to get your message across, correct? But Allah doesn't speak like that. And so the critics use this as a point against Islam and against the Qur'an, that how can you claim that this book is divine if, if its order is so messed up, that you guys even don't know what it means, right? And so subhanAllah, there's uh, scholars that have come up that have studied this in depth, 
Uh, one of them is uh, Hamiduddin Farahi from Pakistan. He's one of the masters, right, of the study of the flow of the Quran. And there are some other uh, recent um, scholars that have come up, like uh, Raymond Farin is another uh, very, very interesting personality. He teaches Arabic. He's an American that teaches Arabic in Kuwait, in the University of Kuwait. Right? And he uh, studied, the Quran, studied the Quran from a linguistic perspective. He was just studying Arabic as a language. And he was studying poetry from the Arab times and... You know, he was just interested in how poetry is structured. And then he came across the Qur'an and he thought of it as a, another piece of poetry. And as he st- studied uh, deeper and deeper, he realized that these cannot be the words of a human being. And he accepted Islam, subhanAllah, just by studying Arabic. Right? And just by studying the symmetry of the Qur'an. Uh, Raymond Farron. And then there's, there's others, inshallah, that... Um, you can look up. But for, for the time being, of course, uh, what we're going to do now is look at the theme itself and how they're connected, right? So there's something uh, called the ring structure in the Quran, a ring structure, okay? Which basically means, and by the way, pretty much all the surahs are structured like this, right? But it's kind of like a code that you have to decipher. And the more you do, the more tadabbur you do, the more you reflect, the more Allah reveals to you. So these are some of the findings that I've come across with my colleagues and, and you know, people who are in the same circles. So the first group was about... Are you guys ready for this? It's really interesting. First group was about... Our first section was about three groups, right? Believers, disbelievers, and the hypocrites. Well, guess what? The last section is a dua for. So if you recall the dua, right? Rabbana la tu'akhidna in nasina aw akhta'na. Rabbana... وَلَا تَحْمِلْ عَلَيْنَا إِسْرًا كَمَا حَمَلْتَهُ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِنَا رَبَّنَا وَلَا تُحَمِّلْنَا مَا لَا طَاقَةَ لَنَا بِهِ وَعْفُ عَنَّا وَاغْفِرْ لَنَا وَارْحَمْنَا Right? أَنْتَ مَوْلَانَا فَانْصُرْنَا عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْكَافِرِينَ So it's really a dua for, for you to be from among the believers to save you from kufr and to save you from the disease of hypocrisy. So it's, it's really wrapping up the initial discussion of the three groups. Okay? And inshallah when we get there we'll study this and you'll see how uh, like obvious the, the symmetry is, right? It's, it's pretty much like a, a, a mirror copy, a reverse mirror copy of the, of the introduction. And then looking at the story of Adam السلام, and um, Iblis. And this is really the part where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam and then he commanded the angels to, to do sajda to, the, to Adam السلام, out of respect. And Iblis was also there. And what does Iblis do? He doesn't. He doesn't do sajda. And so it's an act of disobedience. But why is it an act of disobedience though? What's the root disease? Pride. But let's go a bit deeper. Like, uh, What does he say? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of ego actually. Yes. It's takabbur. Very good. And... Looking at the story of Adam salam, right? Him and his wife, of course, were given all of Jannah as open access, do whatever you want, except for this one tree, don't go near it, right? Uh, what does Adam end up doing? He ends up... No, so Adam salam, what, what does he end up doing? So him and his wife are, are told, you have the entire Jannah for you, just this one tree, don't go near it. They go to that tree and they end up eating from the tree and their clothes come off and all of that discussion that happened in Surah Al-A'raf. Okay? But 
Why did they eat from the tree? He tempted them and what drove them to eat from the tree? I mean, they had millions, billions of other trees to go near, right? Because it's memnu' and what? Go deeper. Yes, so they were tempted with these two things, right? Eternal life and a kingdom that will never go away, right? So what was shaitan? They did, they did, but it's just messed up psychology, right? Iblis was playing around with their minds, right? Um, but what was the d- root disease? Think about it. Why did they eat from the tree? They had everything, but they wanted more. What is that called? Greed. greed. Thank you very much. Right. So this is this is a story of greed. And the last or or section number eight, which is the section before the end, is really the the cure for greed or guidance to control your greed. And how do you control your greed? Allah subhanahu wa taala talks about infaq here. What is infaq? It's spending in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's spending in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the opposite of greed, right? The opposite of greed is infaq. And then he talks about riba, which is, of course, bad use of money. And then he talks about business, which is something that you, that's halal for you to do, right? So you see how it's linked, the story of greed. We'll talk about ego in a, in a second, right? Because that's part of the uh, chrono or, or the order of the sections, right? But just talking about the mirror... The story of greed versus the cure for greed is infaq. Okay, with me so far? Yes? Then section number three was talking about the children of Israel. And what was happening there was like over and over and over again, Allah would reveal laws to the children of Israel. Laws upon laws upon laws. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And what did the children of Israel keep doing? Did they obey those, raw, uh, those laws or did they disobey? They constantly disobeyed, disobeyed, disobeyed. Allah gave them one chance after another, after another, after another. Let's modify them, right? They kept disobeying the laws. And similarly, section number seven is also talking about laws, but this time to who? Who's the audience now? The Muslims, right? And so, it's in a way, Allah's telling us, look at your past forefathers, right? Your, your predecessors. I gave them law, they rejected it. Now I'm giving you law, let's see what you do. I have expectations from you. Are you going to learn from the past people's mistakes or are you going to continue doing the same thing? Okay. And wallahi, as we read this, as we read this section, you, you'll see like how there's so much resemblance between the actions of the children of Israel and Muslims today. Like the Prophet ﷺ actually described it like, you know, uh, when you have like a pair of slippers, he told us exactly this, that you will follow, uh, you know, the children of Israel just like one slipper is identical to another. Okay, and it's, it's so true. إِلَّا مَنْ رَحِمَ اللَّهِ Right? So, you see the symmetry now? Law, law. And then section number four is also linked to section number six because Ibrahim السلام, here, like entire discussion is about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested Ibrahim السلام, and he passed all the tests with flying colors. Right? means he passed with flying colors. Right? So he excelled in every single aspect of those tests. What are some of the tests he went through? Can you guys remember? Ibrahim had a tough life. Yes? He had to go against his father who was the manufacturer of idols during his time. Right? He had to leave his wife behind in the middle of the desert. And then the whole Safa Marwa thing happened, and the Zamzam came out. 
You know the story, yeah? So there are a lot of tests, even the sacrifice of his son, Ismail, pretty big test. But he passed, 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 right? So these are tests of Ibrahim. And, and for the, the section of the Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this section he talks about how the Muslims will also be tested. So Allah talks about tests of Ibrahim versus tests to the Muslims. And interestingly, right the center is where the Qibla shift ayah comes. Right in the center. So this is really the, you can call it um, the core of the whole discussion. Is in the past, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about how the children of Israel failed, right? And now the, sh- the Qibla is shifting to give the Muslims a chance now to prove themselves. Okay? So this is so far how the surah is structured from a ring structure perspective. And by the way, what's the central ayah? Ayah number 143. Anyone? And we just made you... <laughs> What, uh, we, we, and we chose you to be the middle nation. SubhanAllah, right? SubhanAllah. Right at the center of the entire surah. Now, could the Prophet, let's just pause for a second. Could the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba come up with this structure by themselves over 10 years? Impossible, sah? Okay. It's no coincidence. Could it happen by accident? It can happen by accident. Yes? No, no. So it's been studied and there's many people who've done it. Yes, okay. So, central ayah. Now, let's look at some other really cool examples here, right? So, you have the story of Adam, السلام, who is our father, right? And is it a, is this a story of success or failure? What do you think? Pretty much failure, right? Adam, السلام, Allah had high hopes in him, and like he told him, don't go near the tree. He ends up still going to the tree, and he is sent down from above the heavens. And we'll talk about it when we get there, inshallah. But it's a pretty much a failed story of our father. Okay? The next, the next group is talking about a nation. Is it a success story or a failed story? They failed also, right? So another failure. So you have a father's story of failure, you have a nation's story of failure, and then next you have Ibrahim salam, who's also our father. But what about his story? Is it a story of failure or success? Success. He passed, right? So it's a great story of success. And now, the Qibla has shifted and all eyes are on the Muslims now. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has left the answer to that blank to tell us that you have enough case studies from the past. You have a case study of your initial father who failed. You have a case study of a nation that failed. You have a case study of a father that passed and now you are the nation and I expect you to pass but will we learn from the Quran will we learn from this history that's for us to decide right every single one of us is part of that living case study and that case study is going to continue until the end of time okay because we have been given this responsibility now is to learn from the mistakes of our father and to learn from the mistakes of the nations of the past and to study the, how Ibrahim salam passed, because he's our ultimate role model, and then to implement that as a nation. You see how beautifully this is also flowing? Yes? Another beautiful thing was this, this concept of ego, right? Ibla, Ibra, 
Iblis refused to do sajda to Adam out of ego. Yes or no? Yes? Similarly, why did the children of Israel reject the message of the Prophet Also ego. Exactly. It was because primarily Muhammad was from the lineage of Banu Ismail, right? From Ismail salam's lineage. Whereas the children of Israel were from the lineage of Ishaq. And we've talked about how like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has over and over in the Quran told the Prophet to call people to the middle nation or the Millet Ibrahim, right? And that's why Ibrahim alayhi salam is kind of like the answer to the children of Israel that listen, you're rejecting Muhammad sallallahu because he's from Bani Ismail. But wait a second, they have the same father, right? Ismail and Ishaq have the same father. So how about you, okay, if you have an ego issue with Ismail alayhi why don't we go to the unifying factor? Why don't we come to the common ground? Okay, so both are stories of ego also. You see how it's so relevant and how it's all flowing so perfectly? And so, when it comes to Ibrahim salam, same thing. One of the keys of him passing was the fact that he was Abdullah. He was humble. He didn't have ego issues. Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked him to do, he did as an as a abd would do. And then, same thing. There's a question there. A question for us. Now that the Qibla has shifted and all eyes, the cameras now are on the Muslims. Are you going to be, are you going to have an ego with this message of the Quran? Are you going to reject it? Or are you going to submit to it willingly? Are you going to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or are you going to uh, follow your own whims and your own desires? So it's a pretty cool way to, to subhanAllah to teach lessons, right? This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks. And so the whole point of this was for us to appreciate, number one, the symmetry of the, the, the Qur'an, and then to get familiar with the different sections, because as we flow through it, you're going to have to kind of zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out, to, to know where you are really. Okay? So just to wrap it up, section number one and nine are talking about the three groups, section two and eight are talking about the story of greed, section three and section seven are talking about laws, Section 4 and 6 are talking about the test and then the changing of the qibla. Okay? Any questions so far? All good? Very good. So, Alif Lam Mim, Dalika al Kitabu la Rayba fi Hudan al Muttaqeen. Let's move on to the first or the second ayah. Aud Bilam Tarajim, Dalika al Kitabu la Rayba fi Hudan al Muttaqeen. Allah subhanahu starts off by addressing the, this. Book as that book. Dalika means that book. So what's the difference between that and this? This book versus that book. From a pure English perspective. This book versus that book. What's the difference? Not really, no. So, this laptop and that laptop it's not here very good it's, so it's, it's something far away right it's not here it's far away so this would be near and that would be far so Allah is highlighting number one that this book is far away because again what was the question on the audience's mind remember alif lam mim nobody spoke like that 
So the Quraysh were wondering, where is he getting these letters from? Who's teaching him this? You know, what is the source of this way of talking, this style? It's unique. To Arabia, it was unique. Yes. Were you here last, uh, last time we met? Okay, you need to listen to the first section, inshallah. We covered it. But it's, there, there, there is a divine uh, meaning behind it. Okay, but we talked about it at length. So, first of all, you know, peop, students of Tadabbur, they always question the ayat, right? Question not from a critic perspective, but, but from a perspective of, okay, wait a second. Are there other names for a kitab in the Quran? What are other names for the Quran? So, kitab and what else? Quran, right? Yes? Or Noor, or there are other books. But why did Allah, didn't, why didn't He say ذَلِكَ Quran? Why did He say ذَلِكَ kitab? So, it's, it's really amazing how, like when we pay attention to these details. Number one, Allah says ذَلِكَ, so it's far away. And kitab means it's already written. Kataba is highlighting, so the choice of this word is also in its place, right? It's because it's already written. And as we know, the Quran, as it was coming down, how did it come down? Through Jibreel السلام, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through Jibreel السلام, to the Prophet السلام, one step at a time. Ala mukth, which means one step at a time, right? In different situations, different circumstances. But where was it initially? Does anyone know? Yeah, it's, it's called Allah al mahfuz, right? So the Quran, even before it was being revealed to Prophet, السلام, was it already written in its divine order as we see it today? Yes or no? Yes, yes. So the Qur'an that you have today, whether it's a physical Qur'an or a Qur'an that you've memorized or if it's a Qur'an app in your phone, this order is a divine order that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meant, He meant it to be this way, right? And it was, it's already written in the kitab, in the lawh al-mahfuz, in this order, right? So Allah, by highlighting this, He's, he's giving them a hint that this, and this book is unlike any book that you have studied in this world because it has come from above. Yes, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose the Qur'an to be the final message, right? In terms of preserving the Qur'an. Okay, so what's meant by the kitab is this Qur'an that we have in our hands, right? The previous messages, Allah didn't, never said that He would preserve them, right? So they were meant to be for the specific people, for a specific time, in a specific language, right? Based on circumstances. And it was open to tamper with, right? It was open for people to kind of mess around with, edit, change. And as you know, that, that has happened with the Bible and the Torah and even the Suhaf, right? Which we don't really have much record of. Okay? It's also like, yes, uh, scriptures on, on like a leather skin or inscription on, um, on leaves and that kind of stuff, right? But the kitab is literally something that's carved in stone. So what is, what is this word highlighting? Number one, it's from up above, ذَلِكْ Because, you know, another really interesting thing about how Allah speaks is whenever He talks about Qur'an, He says, هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ إِنَّ هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ يَهْدِي لِلَّتِهِ أَقْوَمِ This Qur'an. But when he, when he talks about kitab, He says, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَاب Because Qur'an is the book that we're reading. Qur'an means a book that you constantly read from qara'a, qara'a, qur'anan. That means you're reciting it and reading it over and over and over again. Whereas kitab is, is highlighting its higher authority and the fact that it is written, it already is written and it is not never going to be changed. Because okay? it's already inscribed. 
this point clear so far? Yes? So there's no doubt about it. Another way to look at this is there's no doubt in it, in this book. There's no doubt. There's no room for doubt in this book. And then Allah says, Hudan lil muttaqeen. In it is guidance for those who are muttaqeen. We'll talk about muttaqeen in a second. And you guys see these three dots here? So what is what do they highlight? Anybody knows? Yes. <laughs> Okay. Okay, so you, so you got to stop on one or the other. Yes, very good. So one way to recite this would be ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبُ فِيهِ هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ And the other way of reciting this is ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ Okay, so let's talk about the different meanings. So in the first one ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبُ That book, there is no doubt. That is the book, there is no doubt. So what is this talking to? It's talking to the Bani Israel, because the Bani Israel were actually already told that a prophet is going to come. Right? So they were expecting him, and they were excited about this prophet, and they thought it was going to be from Banu Ishaq. Unfortunately, he came from Bani, Israel, Bani Ismail, and so Allah is reminding them, this is that book that you've been waiting for all along. This is that book. There's no doubt. You see? And then the other way of understanding this is That is the book, there is no doubt in it whatsoever. This Quran, there is no room for doubt in this book. Okay, so you see the different meanings? Yes? At the same time, subhanAllah. subhanAllah at the same time, right? And then hudan lil muttaqeen, in it there is guidance. You know, another way to look at the second part is fihi hudan lil muttaqeen. In it, i.e. in this Qur'an there is guidance for the muttaqeen. Or let me rephrase that. In it there is guidance specifically for the muttaqeen. Okay? And guidance lil muttaqeen also, if we look at it from this section here, guidance for muttaqeen. Hudan, the tanween here, highlights the fact that there is infinite guidance and never-ending guidance to the end of time. Hudan means it's open-ended until the end of time we're gonna it's like an ocean that's endless right there's gonna be constantly more and more guidance uh, as we go along that's why tadabur is such a beautiful thing right because you're always gonna have more and more you can't just get stuck unfortunately some people say no tadabur you have no right to do tadabur who are you to do tadabur listen to sharawi only uh, read tafsir razi or you know um uh, Ibn Kathir and, and they basically have pressed the pause button on books written 200 years ago yes exactly absolutely absolutely the Quran was hudan lil muttaqeen and other place Allah says hudan lil nas it's guidance for all of humanity so you know unlike the that's exactly what the Bani Israel did guys remember we, earlier we were talking about how Allah is teaching us the mistakes of Bani Israel one of the mistakes of Bani Israel was that they made their scholars gods one of their mistakes was they, made, they took control over their scriptures. And so they, they prohibited the people from doing tadabbur of the Bible and the Injil. That's why the whole Protestant movement came out, right? Have you heard of the Protestants? They, what did they protest? They protested their, their right to read the Bible for themselves. That's the whole movement, right? And so 
Allah starts off Surah Al-Baqarah by answering a dua. Who knows which dua this is? Think about the order of the Quran. Surah Al-Fatiha. I'm hinting. Very good. You're asking a salah, right? Oh Allah, guide me to the straight path. And Allah answered it to you right there. Right? You want guidance? That is the book. There's no doubt about it. That's the guidance that you're looking for. Right? So it's the it's answer of our dua right there in uh, Surah Al-Baqarah right from the beginning. The other thing is, like we said, it's carved in stone, therefore it's unlike any other book. Now, another thing here is also like in connection with Alif Lam Mim, right? Dalik al-Kitab. Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there who kind of have that scientific mind. They approach the Qur'an from a scientific mind. And if the Qur'an, like one of my students, one of my old students, his, par- his, his parents called me and they said, this guy has like started having doubts about Islam, and so please talk to him. So I spoke to him, and he apparently was studying the... Uh, in biology, they were teaching them about the stages of uh, the baby in the womb of the mother, right? And so he learned some scientific terms and stuff. So he was, he was asking me, how come Allah doesn't mention this specific term in the context of the growth of the child in the womb of the mother, right? So he was approaching the Qur'an from his science, scientific lens. Remember what we said about the Qur'an? What lens do you need to be able to understand the Qur'an? The lens of Alif Lam Mim, right? I have limited knowledge, Ya Allah. I'm seeking guidance. I'm blank. Guide me. If you go in with presumptions, chances are you're going to get confused. If you go in with ideas already set in your mind, chances are you're going to be misguided, right? So this, this guy's approach to the Qur'an was like, okay, my science book says this is part of that embryolo- embryological growth, whatever, right? And if the Qur'an doesn't, say, doesn't confirm this, then the Qur'an is not the word of God. Because science is more credible. Science can't be wrong. It's already proven scientifically. But that attitude is also dangerous. Allah is telling us, listen, we're not talking about science here. We're not talking about your professor's book. We're not talking about a Harvard case study. We're talking about ذَلِكَ kitab. Right? It's coming from a higher authority. It's coming from divine sources. So, whatever, if, if science contradicts with Qur'an, what do you take? Huh? So, Al-Sahib? Very good. It actually shouldn't, right? It, science will never contradict Qur'an. And a lot of science is theories, right? Like a theory of evolution. It's a theory. It's, never, it's, it's not really a fact yet, yes? But subhanAllah, as we progress... A lot of what science has discovered, the Qur'an uh, confirms. And if something, like I'll share with you something really out there. You know, it's, it's, I don't want to open a can of worms, right? But uh, even this idea of the earth being a sphere, yes? It's been proven by who? Proven by who? Who's, who's told us that the earth is a sphere? Didn't they teach you this back in physics and like, yes or no? How many, of you, how many of you believe that the earth is a sphere? How many, okay, whatever. Egg-shaped, oval. How many of you believe it's like a round egg-shaped thing? Raise your hands. What about the rest? Huh? What do you believe it is? Square. <laughs> flat? How, how many of you believe that the earth is flat? Zayl Bagi? What do you believe then? 
Huh? No opinion? Okay. Fine. So, if you study the ayat of the Quran in depth, you will surprisingly come to a conclusion that the Quran is saying something completely the opposite of what science is telling you. I'll, I'll leave it till there. Inshallah, one day we can have a discussion about that. But I can't, I can't. I can't. Because it's, uh, it's very, very controversial. It's going to mess up with your mind. Ooh, huh? It's all over the Quran. Just Google, Google, like not Google, but go into an app and search Al-Ard. And look at how Allah talks about Al-Ard. Shall I share with you some tidbits here and there? Yeah. So, Alam Naj'al al Arda Mihada. Mihada means a bed. Okay? Firasha, Allah calls it a bed also. Yabsut. Uh, like a carpet. Bust is spreading it open. And Allah, whenever He talks about the skies and the earth, He says, Asamawati wal ardi wa ma baynahuma. Asamawati wal ardi wa ma baynahuma. Anzala min asamai ma'an. Anzala. It's coming from up down. Right? And wasama'a rafa'aha, right? Rafa'a samkaha. Rafa'a, which means it's up. And wasama'a banaha, buildings. How do you build buildings? Those of you who are into architecture, buildings are upright. So sama'a is like this, you know, seven skies built on top of each other and the earth being in the center. Again, uh, yes. As there's like يعني, a lot of discussion about this, but uh, yes. 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 You want, to, you want to hear my point of view so far? Again, it could change, right? But I, I don't believe human beings are capable of crossing the first sama. Because Allah subhanahu says that He made a, a saqfan mahfuda. There's a, like, there's a ceiling that has protected the sama. And Allah subhanahu wa Rahman tells us that He challenges us. He challenges us. Ya ma'ashara al-jinni wal-ins. In istata'tum an tanfudhu min aqtar al-samawati wal-ard. So Allah has challenged us to cross the limits of the first sky and the boundaries of earth. Like it's impossible for human beings to cross the boundaries of earth. It's an open challenge. And in it is a sign of weakness of the human beings. And Allah after that ayah says, Which of the signs of Allah are you denying? Because those are signs. Those are signs, right? But human being or, or science, right? In this, in this modern day and age, cannot accept things to be limited. For the only option was let's make it a circle to solve this problem and, and to make things unlimited. Yes, yes, exactly, right. So again, there's uh, we can have a like a dedicated session if you want about this. I'll need at least six hours to completely brainwash you all <laughs> that the Earth is flat. I'm not kidding. You all leave, guaranteed you all leave believing that the earth is flat. But six hours, right? So we can do it some other time, inshallah. <laughs> Al-Quran versus Al-Kitab, we talked about this, right? Hada Al-Quran versus Dalik Al-Kitab. Now, also like I told you, 
the wait is over to Bani Israel. The wait is over. That book, there's no doubt about it. It's here. This is the book you've been waiting for all along. And then there's no room for any disturbing doubt. By the way, raib, there's also another word in the Quran called shek for doubt. Raib is a type of doubt that disturbs you. Okay? So, are there Muslims today who have doubt in the Quran? Is it disturbing doubt? Yes, there's a lot of people who have doubt, right? So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that there is no doubt in this book, there is guidance in it. So, it's like Allah's comforting us. Yes? Yes, yes, yes. Kitab. You're still thinking about that, huh? Okay. Um, now, what's really also very cool about this uh, ayah is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is highlighting that ذَلِكَ kitab. Now, looking at miracles of the past prophets, what were some of the miracles? Can you share with me? What are some of the miracles of the past nations? Yalla. Okay, the staff turning into a snake. What else? Was it a seen miracle or what? What kind of miracle was it? It's a miracle for the? For the eyes, yes? And if you saw that happening, you would believe, right? That this is a miracle, okay? What else? What are some of the other miracles? Yeah, the sea splitting, also a miracle for the eyes. Everybody who saw it would believe, yes or no? Uh, same thing with, yes? Yes, Isa spoke of you as a baby. People saw it, they heard it, right? Um, but it was something that was uh, linked to a specific moment, guys. Okay, there was no YouTube or Snapchat back then. I mean, Snapchat would have been use, useless, right? Because you couldn't preserve it, right? But had there been YouTube, Tkhaila, someone recorded the YouTube video of the sea splitting. That would be amazing, right? We could all have access to it and we'd all help us increase our yaqeen, right? But it didn't happen. And same thing with Isa healing people, right? But these are things that the people back then, whoever saw it, saw it, but what would happen generations later? What would happen to the level of conviction? It would change into doubt, right? Because they didn't see it. Seeing is believing, like they say, right? But in terms of this book, right, what's so special about this book is that it's not like any other miracle of the past. All other miracles of the past were for everybody who saw the miracles. As for the Qur'an, this final miracle, it's not a miracle for the eyes. What is it a miracle for? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, technically, yes, it does come down to the heart and the soul. Best, it's through your ears. That's what you're all doing now, right? You're all listening to the Qur'an. And think of it during the time of the Sahaba also, like, the Prophet ﷺ would get the revelation and what would he do? He would recite it onto them and they would be listening, right? There was, there was no projector, there was none of this stuff, right? So it's a miracle for the ears. And now here is where it gets really interesting. Is it for all ears? Is it a miracle for, for all ears? Okay, yes. Yes. Exactly. So all, all, are all ears ready to receive? No. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the first sense is sam also. So even as you're born, 
the, the site is the first thing that gets activated. Yeah. So the previous miracles were free. Did the, did the, did the audience of Fir'aun, like when the sea was spinning, did they have to pay any, uh, buy any tickets to see that miracle? It was free for all, right? Did the uh, people who saw Isa Islam healing the blind or something, did they pay anything to get to see that show? No. It was free. What about this miracle? Is it free for all? Or does it require some effort? It requires effort, right? It requires effort to understand it. And so, this is another profound uh, you know, aspect of the Qur'an is that it is guidance for those who put in the effort to really listen. Right? Who make the extra effort, go the extra mile to dive deep into the beautiful meanings of the Qur'an. If you say, well, I don't have time, well, you know, yeah, I just read Surah Al-Kahf very quickly. Well, when someone dies, I read Surah Al-Kahf, you know, Quran, or, or when you, know, you think you have jinn possession, then you read Quran. If that's your relationship with the Quran, then, then will you really get guidance? So, it is a miracle, but the access is for those who are willing to put the extra effort, right? And the deeper you go, the more beautiful it gets. Just like diving. Any, any per, uh, divers here? Okay, just us two. We should go diving one day. Yeah. Okay, three. So, yeah, diving. If you're, if you're like just snorkeling on the surface, you may see some nice fish, right? If you're out, would you see anything? No, especially in Bahrain's water, you won't see anything. Trust me. Sometimes. Depends where you are, right? Yes. But the, the deeper you go, yes, we can, we can testify that the deeper you go, the more beautiful it gets. Yes? Yeah. Okay. But no matter how much we describe it, they will never understand, right? What do they have to do? See it, see it and experience it for yourself, right? So it's unlike the other miracles. It's something that's personal to you. And every single one of us here will be touched by the Qur'an in a different way. The way I get touched, the verses that touch me, the verses that make me cry will be different than the verses that make you cry. Completely different, right? Because we're all like different in terms of our... Uh, experiences, the journey we're in, which level we're at, right? So it's guidance for all, subhanAllah. Right? But yes, yes. And yeah, that's the beautiful journey of the Quran, really. Like your thought keeps evolving, your ideas keep evolving. And so if you listen to some of my uh, lessons like five years ago and today, like this is a major, you know, ev- evolution of thought, which is healthy. A lot of people criticize me. Well, you five years ago you said this about this ayah, now you're changing your mind, right? They th- they criticize that, but a- that's actually a healthy attitude with the Quran. Is that you're evolving, right? So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala wants us to evolve. And that's something that we need to instill in everybody. So, So on one hand, Allah talk, is talking about this concept of no doubt in this book. And on the other hand, He's talking about guidance. So let's talk about guidance for a second. This word, huda, right? 
So guidance, we all use guidance for reaching from point A to point B in a what? Why do you use GPS when you go in a foreign country? So you don't get lost. Why else? Yeah, but there's a key point. You don't want to get lost. You want to reach your destiny, but there's a missing word. Why do you need guidance? Okay, as, as shortest or easiest. I'm looking for easy, right? The easiest path. The only reason I'm going to use Google Maps today is to find out what's the easiest path to reach my destination without traffic, without all the mess. Yes or no? That's the value of this app, right? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is, is, has chosen this word to tell us that just like you're asking in Surah Al-Fatiha, اهدنا الصراط المستقيم, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to choose the easy path. Think of Salat al-Mustaqeem as something that's easy. يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرِ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرِ Allah wants ease for you, He doesn't want difficulty for you. Right? What do most people have as an impression about this deen and becoming religious and practicing? Difficult, right? That's, that's exactly what, like, I don't know who to blame, but societies, I don't know, scholars, shaitan, they've completely brainwashed everybody to think that this path is... Difficult, it's scary, it's uh, too many rules and regulations and there's punishment. And, and so people are running away from this. Whereas Allah is telling us it is guidance. And it's supposed to be the ease. I want you to be guided. Allah is telling us, I want you to reach the destination with ease. One of Allah's beautiful names is Al-Hadi. The one who guides with ease. SubhanAllah, right? And so... Who is going to find it easy to reach the destination? The ones who? The one who follow it. The ones who follow this guidance, right? And, if you, and by the way, if your life is difficult, if you're struggling in life, if you're going through a lot of difficulty and it's not really easy for you, then what's that a sign of? Very good. Like, I know these are harsh words, but... You're simply not on Salat al-Mustaqim. And you know, I'm not judging anybody here. I'm just making you become aware of this idea that, you know what, whenever I struggle, that's a signal from Allah, I need to come back on track. I need to come back on the path of ease, the path of harmony, the path of, the path of na'im. Salat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim. And this is the path of Jannah and dunya and before akhirah. And there are people living that path, that, that, on that path. Wallahi, it's a beautiful path. But you just need to hold on to this book. And chances are, you know, you're probably struggling because you're not connected to the Quran. You're not connected to that book. And so, let's also do a quick survey. What about majority of Muslims today? Are they, you know, enjoying life with ease and enjoying the na'im of this world? Or are they struggling with difficulty? Why now? Can we... Can we connect the dots? Why is it? What's the cause? What's the root cause? Yes, why? Because they have left what? Because they have left the Quran. They're too distracted. Yes, they have other priorities. They haven't gone to the kitab, right? The kitab is the highlight here. You want that easy path? Go to that book. And again, be willing to dive deep, right? People have, like you said, distracted. We have other priorities. And so, if we have other priorities and our life is messed up, who do we blame? 
Can we blame Shaitan? What do you think? Can we blame uh, Donald Trump? <laughs> Can we blame Israel? Who, yeah, take responsibility, blame yourself, right? Uh, and don't get too hung up on blaming, because extra blaming is not good, right? So blame yourself a bit, you know, pinch yourself and then come back on Salaf al-Mustaqeem. Don't just stay in the blaming stage, that's not healthy, okay? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yes, and that's the whole point of istighfar and tawbah, right? Every time you, di- you divert, istighfar, tawbah, back on track. Divert, istighfar, tawbah. That's what the Prophet ﷺ himself would do istighfar 80 to 100 times every day. Right? Naam. Of course, those who come back. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, and it's a humble check, right? That I'm weak, I'm going to make mistakes, right? Because sometimes... You don't play games, Yani. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, istighfar, tawbah, coming back to Allah, and Allah loves that, right? Yes, yes it's beautiful, right? And guess who's on that path? Lisa's is on that path. He wants you to be off track. And so what do you need to do constantly? You need to do isti'adah. Yes, seek Allah's protection from shaitan. Right? Uh, many Muslims today don't read their athkar, they don't read their ma'awidat. The morning and the evening athkar. Like these are like divine insurance from shaitan. Wallahi. And so I'll, I'll, all, I'll give you all a gift. Wallahi, it's a gift for all of you. There's an app called Auradi. I'm going to uh, share it with you on the group, Auradi by my teacher, Muhammad al-Duhim. He's developed a very cool app where um, you can actually access qa'imat al-raghabat, like what you wanna, what kind of dhikr you want. You want a dhikr for knowledge, you want a dhikr for peace, you want a dhikr for uh, easing up tensions within relationships, you want a dhikr for uh, protection from shaitan. You want, there's like a list of adhkar, and when you click on it, there's selected verses that you can recite. 40 times. If you tap on the screen, it's, there's like a counter and it vibrates when it finishes. It's pretty cool. I use it pretty much every day in the morning. That's my morning drive, right? It's the best feeling in the world. Wallahi, right? And if you get into this habit, you're going you're gonna to thank me for the rest of your lives. Especially the ma'awidat. Like don't let a day pass without you doing the ma'awidat. Reading the adhkar, the awrad of the ma'awidat. The protection from iblis. Okay? And wallahi, it will open doors in your life that you cannot imagine. So I'll share that with you, and again, I'll share, but the choice is yours, right? Okay? And of course, hudan lil muttaqin. also there's this hadiyah concept, right? That it's a gift. This Qur'an is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And who do we give gifts to? Those who we love. So there's, in this word is a beautiful sign of love from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves all of His creation, including those who disbelieve, right? Hmm? Yeah, so in the root word, there is this common, common root word with hadiyah also, right? That's the beauty of the Arabic language. When you go into the, the root level, you can understand it in more depth. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or the Prophet tells us that every human being that was ever born, there is a house in Jannah with his name on it. Did you guys know this? Pretty cool, huh? Every human being that's born, 
from the beginning of time till the end of time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a house for him in Jannah. And then it's up to us to kind of uh, earn it, you know, and, and reach, reach there. So it's not like Allah has saved, like, you know, uh, a place in hellfire for the disbelievers. No, everyone has an equal opportunity, equal chance. Don't think that just because you're born Muslims, again, I'm very careful with the word Muslim. Don't think that just because you're born, you have a free ticket. Right? You, we all are required to search for that guidance. Yes? Yes, very good question, and this is a, a discussion that we can have. Hmm? Yeah, uh, this is about qadr, right? The difference between are we do we have a free will or is everything predestined? So, you know, the reality of this answer, or the like, again, try to try to summarize it is that Allah's knowledge is different than His willingness, right? Just the fact that a teacher knows that a student is going to fail the exam because he's been uh, you know, flunking classes and he's not, being he's not paying attention in class. He knows, like in the final exam, he knows that that student is going to fail. Does it mean that he wants the student to fail? No. So you see the difference? So let's not confuse Allah's knowledge with his intention, his willingness. Allah wants, Allah wishes that we all go to Jannah, right? But he knows some people won't. But just because he knows doesn't give us a free ticket to say, oh, well, if he knows I'm going to hell, I might as well go to the club tonight. Now, how do you know what Allah knows? You do whatever is in your means. You take whatever precaution you can. You like, have a free will to decide what's right, what's wrong. And then leave Allah's knowledge. Allah's knowledge is for Allah. Don't try to comprehend what Allah's knowledge is. You need to do what's like, you know, in your best interest, basically. But good question. Very common misconception out there. And, and it will get clearer as we go along. This concept of qadr. Hmm. Yes, so mukhayyar and musayyar Mukhayyar means like you've, you've been given a choice An option to choose from And musayyar means that everything is, is there for you So there's this um, Yeah, in, in reality You focus on your choice You've been given this choice This choice is a gift And some ulama actually say This is the amana Inna aradna al-amana ala al-samawati wal-ardi wal-jibali that this amana that Allah gave to the earth and the sky and the mountains, they all refused it. Allah gave it. Allah decided to take it. And it's the amana of freedom of choice. The amana of responsibility. Right? That I am responsible for my actions. I can't blame Allah. I can't blame Qadr. I can't blame destiny. I can't blame any of that. I have, you know, a freedom of choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is something that you can really important that I didn't know of before. Yes. So with your du'a, you can actually change your destiny. Yes. And you can even, you know, extend your lifespan. Like Salat al-Raham, like if you connect your ties with your families, it extends your lifespan. Um, you know, one, one really beautiful story from the life of Umar really made this concept of Qadr very clear to me. I'll share it with you. So when he was the Khalifa of the Muslims, him and his people were entering into a city and 
That city, they found out before entering that that city had a plague, a, a disease, a very dangerous disease. So uh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn Khattab, he decided to take a U-turn. And so one of his people commented, he said, أَتَفِرُّ مِنْ قَدَرِ اللَّهِ يَا أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Are you running away from the qadr of Allah? And so what did he reply? He says, نَعَمْ أَفِرُّ مِنْ قَدَرِ اللَّهِ إِلَىٰ قَدَرِ اللَّهِ Yes, I am running away from one qadr to another qadr. Right? And so think of it this way, there is a qadr for khair and a qadr for shar. You decide which one you want to take. There is a qadr for... You know, a good life, a qadr for a bad life, you choose which one you want. There's a qadr for wealth and a qadr for loss of money. You decide what you want. We often mistake uh, our shortcomings with qadr. Just because your business failed doesn't mean it was your qadr for the business to fail. No, you didn't do your homework. You didn't study enough. You didn't ask the right questions. You didn't do your, your homework, right? Same thing with marriage. Same thing with... Everything else in life, right? Your health. Just because you're eating cheeseburgers and shawarmas and, and Coke and Pepsi and you get heart disease or you get cancer or you get uh, diabetes, don't say that's my qadr. Right? Take some responsibility. So we often confuse the two. Right? So there's a qadr for health, a qadr for sickness. You follow the, the formulas for a good qadr of health, you'll be healthy. You follow the, the bad lifestyle of eating and drinking, you'll be sick. You chose your qadr. Okay? Um, another side note, Surah Al-Qadr. Inna anzalnahu fi laylatil qadr. I won't give it away. Listen to the, like the podcast. But so, is Laylatul Qadr just one night a year? Are you... Has Allah just given you one night a year to change your destiny? So, something for you to think about. Yeah? Maybe it is tonight. You decide when your Laylatul Qadr is. You decide when you want to shift your Qadr. Hmm? Yes, it's, it's known uh, commonly to be from Ramadan, but if you look at the surah, like, it's pretty open ended, yeah? which is beautiful. You don't have to wait for Ramadan to change your destiny. You know? And again, Hudan lil Muttaqeen. So, Ralik al Kitab, it's up there. Hudan lil Muttaqeen. And so, for us, we should have this relationship with the Quran as if it's like water, right? Something that we really desperately need. Just like water is the source of our life, physically speaking, the Quran is the source of our spiritual life. And so people who are drinking water physically, but they're disconnected from the Qur'an, they're walking, but they're spiritually dead. Yani. Their hearts are dead. There's no remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? There's no guidance. It's going to be filled with doubt. It's going to be filled with all these things. And now another very profound uh, lesson here in the, in the subtlety of the order of the words. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first says, He talks about doubt and then guidance. Now, are most of our youth today guided or misguided? Misguided? Yes? Again, we don't want to judge anybody, but we're just being observant here, right? We're just observing the fact that, yes, it's become very common for uh, the youth not to pray. It's common for uh, the youth to have bad habits and all that kind of stuff. Yes or no? Yeah? So 
What is Allah tackling first? He's tackling doubt. So where is the problem? If you want the youth to be guided today, if you want the Muslims to be guided today, what should be fixed first? The doubt. And so the, the, you know, this is also teaching us a profound lesson in, the, in terms of how we study Qur'an, right? And how we uh, approach the study of Islam is that first we have to remove the doubts. And I like the fact that you have questions that you're posing, which means that you have some doubts that you want to clarify. Just like, like imagine this bottle had, like let's say a layer of dust in it, okay? And I poured some pure water in it. Would I drink this? Why not? It's dirty, right? So what do I need to do first? Clean it, empty, empty the dirt, and then, uh, you know, put in some pure water, right? So similarly, clear the doubt first. You know, uh, in Arabic they say, التخلية قبل التحلية. Takhliya means empty, like cleanse, purify the doubt, and then add the beauty of guidance. Great question, great question. You mean there are people who don't want their doubt to be removed? Yes, so again, it's uh, part of the problem is um, arrogance, right? Their desires are more important than seeking guidance. They're not genuinely seeking guidance. And you know, um, I asked this question to one of my uh, teachers who was a very like, active person in comparative religion and he studies the Christians and that kind of stuff, right? So I asked him, and he, he, he does a lot of debates with atheists. I asked him, out of all the atheists, what percentage of atheists are genuinely seeking guidance? Because, you know, there's some so-called atheists who just want to party. They want an excuse to have a girlfriend. They want an excuse to not pray. They want an excuse to not have to go to Jum'ah, right? So I asked him, what percentage of atheists are genuine versus just players? Guess what the percentage is. 99% what? Genuine or not genuine? genuine. No, so it's 99% not genuine. Yes? 99% to confirm your point, 99% aren't serious about guidance. They just want to enjoy life. They just want to party. They don't want rules. They don't want any religion or any sheikh telling them what to do. A genuine atheist is someone who's sincerely searching for the truth. They're, yeah, so he's, he's going to the mountains and sitting with the Buddhists. He's... He's going to the Hindus, he's sitting with the Muslims, he's like exploring different things, right? And Allah will guide this person, by the way, right? This person who is seeking sincerely to be guided, Allah will eventually guide him. And we have so many stories of this, by the way. But those who want to party, they, they'll party, right? You can't, إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ Allah says in the Quran, you cannot guide those who you love. Allah will only guide the one who sincerely wants to be guided. But if you, yes. If you remember, yes, yes. So we talked about this with Fatih, Surah Al-Fatiha, right? غير مغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين. Remember, مغضوب عليهم are people who have, they know the truth, but they don't act upon it because of ego. Dalin are people who have ignorance, either through misinformation or missing information, right? And so if you have missing information, misinformation, you got to do your homework and search. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah
Yes, again, that's a shallow, a very shallow and dangerous translation, right? Because you can't, you can't label something that Allah didn't label, right? Allah left it open-ended. Who are we to pinpoint a certain group? Um, so it's unfair. It's very, and we talked about this in, in uh, last session, so you can, inshallah, go back to it. Yeah. So, um, what were we talking about? Yeah, so misinformation, missing information. What's the solution? Two things. Remember this, two things. Number one, iqra'. Good, good, very good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. One question for you. You just said they read a lot, right? Have they read the Quran cover to cover? See, so they've read every single book out there, but this book is the book that Allah promised. In it, there is no guidance. Now, do we believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when He says there is no doubt in this book? Yes? I mean, that's, again, Alif Lam Mim. You're coming in with a blank slate. Ya Allah, teach me. And Allah, the first thing He's telling us is, Doubt is a serious problem. Just like all of you are saying, doubt is a serious problem. And that's one of the reasons people aren't religious anymore. Because there's so many doubts. And I was saying, yes, I know. That's why this is the first thing I'm talking about. And you want to remove this doubt? Go to this book. Right? And so those people, don't know, they don't go to the book. And even if they go to the book, they go to the book with a skeptic mind. They go with a science mind. They go with you know, their own presumptions and they won't benefit. Right? So, again... Those who sincerely want to be guided, Allah will guide them. We have to trust this. Allah is promising. So, you see the order here, guys? First, clear the doubt. And this is a big task. Wallahi, it's a big task. I don't claim to have all the answers, by the way. I'm still learning, right? And all of you need to learn. And uh, how many of you are not married yet? Or no kids yet? Okay, so all of you have a double task at hand, right? Why? Because you need to educate yourself before your kids come into this life. Why? Because your kids are going to have some questions for you. And if you're not able to answer, guess what? Ma'asalama. They're gone. Right? And so that was one of my motivations to study Quran and, and, and get on this path, right? Because, wallahi, we're, we're being defeated with, with these doubts. There's a lot of doubts out there, right? Yeah. Now another, uh, how are we on time, by the way? We're okay? Yeah? Okay, so hudan lil muttaqin. Now, so beautiful that Allah subhanahu wa taala. This is called ikhtisas. When Allah subhanahu wa taala yakhtas a fi'a ma'ayyana, right? Allah didn't say hudan lil muslimin, hudan lil muhsinin, hudan lil shiyukh din. What did he say? <laughs> what did he say? He said hudan lil muttaqin. So it's so so important for us to understand who these muttaqin are. So now, this is the next discussion. Number one, the fact that taqwa is something more important than iman. Has iman come up yet, by the way? No. The first thing Allah is talking about is these people called muttaqin. Not even mu'mineen yet, right? So what is muttaqin? Um, often, a muttaqi person is someone who, like you'd... 
you know, the picture that comes to mind someone with a beard, and you know, Quran. That's the image that comes to mind when you think of someone muttaqi. But is that true? Absolutely not, right? Taqwa has nothing to do with your appearance. Where is taqwa, by the way? It's in the heart, right? The Prophet said it three times. At-taqwa ha-huna, at-taqwa ha-huna, at-taqwa ha-huna. And therefore, hmm? Yes? Naam, naam, min taqwa al-qulub, absolutely. And so, taqwa is something of the unseen. Can anyone here know the taqwa level of the other? Okay, so we're talking about a good question. We're, we're going to talk about it at length. What is taqwa? Um, in summary, taqwa is protecting yourself. Taqwa is that attitude of being careful, of seeking safety and security. It comes from the root word wiqaya in Arabic. Wiqaya, right? Ya amanu, qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. Save yourself and your family. From the pain of this fire, right? Save yourself. And so this, it's an attitude. Taqwa is an attitude. It's a mindset that I need to be careful of not being harmed, not being hurt. And so, not harming others, absolutely. Yeah. So it's an open invitation. للمتقين. Hudan للمن. It's guidance, by the way, it's guidance exclusively for those who have this attitude of seeking safety. If you're not, if you're careless, if you're not careful, if you don't have this attitude of, wait a second, is this right, is this wrong, should I do this, should? if you don't have that brake system, right, it's not going to be guidance for you. And so, a beautiful description or definition of taqwa is uh, given by one of the companions where he said that taqwa is like you trying to walk in a place filled with thorns on the ground. Alright? How are you going to walk? You're going to be extremely careful, right? You're gonna, every step you're going to be like aware, fully aware. That's one of the other meanings of taqwa. You're aware of your surroundings. You're, you're switched on. You're not just walking carelessly and getting injured. And ah, ah. No, you're not doing that. You're switched on. You're aware. Because one of the other meanings of taqwa is God consciousness. Or, or being mindful, right? You're aware of your surroundings, you're aware of what harms you, what benefits you, and you're being extremely careful with every step of the way. Why? Because you... You guys tell me, why? Yeah, you love yourself, right? Self, this is really self-love, and there's nothing selfish about loving yourself, okay? You love yourself, you love your family, therefore you protect yourself and your family. So that attitude should be there. Now, is, look at the world today. Are there many thorns in our lives today? Yes? Are there many thorns of what comes out of the TV screens? Are there many thorns in school with our, where our children go? Are there many thorns on our phones in terms of the information that's coming up? Thorns everywhere, right? And because of you know, communication and internet and smartphones, thorns are basically like accessible anywhere, anytime, on the spot, right? With Wi-Fi connection, 3G, LTE. Thorns, you know, you can order th- thorns online now, right? Fa- that means the taqwa level has to be 
Higher or lower? Much, much higher if you want to be safe. If you want to be safe. So the question is, why would someone want to harm themselves? Yalla, let's have a discussion about this. Why would anybody want to harm themselves? Ask anybody, do you want to harm yourself? What would they say? Would they say, I don't care? Maybe. Some get the pleasure out of pain, you mean? Maybe. Self-sabotage, self-destruction, loss of hope. Yeah. Um, escape from reality, right? Numbing your minds with like drugs and alcohol and just escaping the pain of this world, right? So there's so many thorns and they don't know what to do. So they're like, you know what? Let me just numb my mind so I don't feel the pain anymore. So you see like the tragedy of our times is that Allah told us that what the attitude should be for us to get guidance. Let's go a bit deeper in this. You know, classic attitude that Muslims have today is, uh, is this halal, is this haram? Right? Is music halal, music haram? Not wearing hijab, halal, haram. Having a pet dog, halal, haram. Riba banking, haram, halal, right? Classic questions that come up. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like we said last time, right? He, he's not concerned much about halal, haram. Like halal, halal, haram is like 7% of the Qur'an. 93% of the Qur'an is, is mindset, it's attitude. And so instead of, like even if your kids come up to you and, and ask you, Baba, is this halal, haram? Mama, is this halal, haram? Change the question for them. Teach them to think different way, in a different way. So what I've taught my kids is to start thinking about halal as what works for you. And haram as what doesn't work for you. So everything that Allah has made haram for you is to, to, to keep you safe from it, right? In the context of taqwa. Why has He made it haram? Because if you go into it, it's not, things aren't going to work out in your favor. Go ahead and try. Go ahead and try. You want to go, you want to drink? Go ahead and drink. You want to smoke weed? Go ahead and smoke weed. You want to have a girlfriend and sleep with her? Go ahead. It's not going to work out. You want to be a gay or a lesbian? Go ahead. It's not going to work. You're not going to have kids. You can adopt one, but there's always going to be something missing, right? So the, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, أَلَا يَعْلَمُ مَنْ خَلَقُ وَهُوَ اللَّطِيفُ الْخَبِيرُ Doesn't the one who created us know us better, right? Doesn't he know what's good for us and what's bad for us? And so when he tells us in the Quran to do certain things and not to do certain things, it's for our own benefit. Because he knows what works and what doesn't work. And if we do what works, life is going to be na'im. And if we do what doesn't work, we're going to be suffering. And our attitude should be, I need to stay away from the stuff that doesn't work with taqwa because I want to stay in na'im. You see, so it's a different mindset. It's not like, you're not scaring people off from, oh, it's haram, Allah will be angry with you. Just today, my kids were jumping on my bed, right? After school, and uh, I was kissing my son, Abdullah, and he said, Ew. Okay. So my daughter was next to me and she's like, uh, I, told, I told Abdullah, why are you saying, ooh, I'm kissing you, it's supposed to be a nice thing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he learned it from his friend or something. But, uh, then my daughter said something interesting. She said, Baba, if you say ew when your Baba kisses you, then Allah gets angry, right? And I got really upset. I was like, where did she get this from? Who's been teaching her this? 
So she had in her mind already, she's five years old. She has in her mind that if I say ooh to my Baba's kiss, Allah will be angry with me. And that's the danger of this attitude of just focusing on halal, haram. You do haram, Allah will be angry with you. Stay away from haram, Allah will be angry. So Allah has nothing to do with this, guys. It's what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like far beyond us, right? If everybody in the world started drinking tonight, is that going to decrease in Allah's kingdom in any way? What do you think? Is he going to get upset and earthquakes are going to start happening? No. If everybody in the world started praying and reading the Quran today, you think like, yeah, this, this, uh, you know, there's going to be rain all across the world and Allah's going to be super happy? No. If we are on the right track, things will be fine for us. If we are on the wrong track, things will, will have to suffer. So, this idea of Allah being upset with me, Allah being angry with me, bad, misinformation, missing information, right? Big time. And I think it's a crime, wallahi. And I think it's disrespect when you associate um, Allah with like the punisher and that he's angry. It's wallahi, it's, you know, Allah says in the Quran, وَمَا قَدَرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ That they, they didn't know who Allah is. They didn't ma qaddarna, and we don't we don't know who He is. We don't give Him the value He deserves. Good. Look at the context of those verses. Yes, and even the shadidul aqab. It's because you have chosen what doesn't work for you, and so the aqab is not that Allah is yaqabich. No, it's the aqab that's gonna be a consequence of your actions. Right. Allah is not going to throw an axe from the sky to come and chop off your tongue if you lie. Right? Go ahead, go ahead, fine. Go ahead, it's your, it's your life. Al-Mu'mineen. Mm. Yes, yes. And, yeah, and we'll talk about this as we go along. The concept of, you know how, you guys heard of karma? Yeah. Right? So there's, this, there's some truth to that when it comes to a Quranic perspective. There's some falsehood in it also from the Buddhist and Hindu tradition. But yes, a lot of, وَجَزَاءُ سَيِّئَةٍ سَيِّئَةٌ مِثْلُهَا Allah says. Whenever you harm others, it'll come back to you. Right? And so this path, the path of Naim and Salat Mustaqim, there's going to be good for you. And Allah wants this path for you. The only reason he's, he's used that explicit language in the Qur'an, Adab, Shadid al-Iqab, Nar, Jahannam, it's just because he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to suffer. But every time you suffer, it's not because of Allah, it's because of your own choice. You chose to do things that don't work for you. Does it make sense? So it's a very different mindset. Okay? Yes. So technically, no. It depends on what kind of uh, sin, because there's different types of sins, right? There's sins that you do between you and Allah, and there's sins where you do wrong to others, right? The the, the sins that involve others when you like violate the rights of others, those are sayat. Those are more serious, right? You can do tawbah from today until like you know next month. 
if you don't reconcile, if you don't say sorry, if you don't settle the score, we're going to pay backwards. Yeah? But the other sins between you and Allah, let's say you're drinking, let's say you have a relationship with someone or whatever, right? That's just like, you know, istighfar, tawbah, in al-hasanat, we can replace them, inshallah. But you guys get this concept of ta- like taqwa, staying away from what's haram is, is an attitude of taqwa. Why? Not because Allah is going to get angry or Allah is going to be upset. No, because it doesn't work for me, right? Moving on to something also very interesting. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with this idea of energy bodies, how many of you have not, are not familiar at all with energy body and like auras and... okay. So I'll just talk very briefly about it. Uh, in, in quantum physics and metaphysics, they talk about how our bodies are not just this limited to this physical body. There's, there's this other layers of bodies. Like there's this mental layer and there's this emotional layer and then there's um, other layers, okay? Uh, spiritual layers, which the Quran calls your nafs. Okay, what's the Quranic term for this? Your nafs, okay? So that's your nafs. And, and so, there are certain cameras out there today. There's this Kirlian camera or photography where you can actually detect and measure uh, your, your nafs and the energy that's coming out of your nafs. Pretty cool, yes? Okay. Um, now, look at some of this stuff here. Right? This is the, the scan or photography of someone who's who's done meditation, which is, you can call it salah for now, yes? Okay. Someone who's done meditation, look at his energy field. Is it bright and strong and protected? Does this person have taqwa now? Yes, protected, right? right? What about before meditation? Do you see holes in it? Holes, right? Does he have taqwa? No taqwa, right? And so, what is the Quranic discussion on this? And what's the whole point of this? What's the connection between this and taqwa? Check this out. Surah Al-Shams. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَنَفْسٍ وَمَا سَوَّاهَا Allah's praising this nafs. He's talking highly about this nafs and how Allah gave it balance. فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا Allah inspired it with whatever fujur it has and whatever taqwa it has. So what we're learning here is Sometimes in the Quran, if you want to understand what taqwa is, look at its opposite. So here Allah is using taqwa and its opposite word. What's the opposite of taqwa in the context of this ayah? Fujur. فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا Let's read on to understand. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا The one who has purified this nafs has indeed won. And the one who has suppressed this nafs is the one who has lost. So what is Allah talking about here? He's talking about, or what is fujur? Fajr, what does fajr mean? Yes, daybreak, right? When, when light first breaks through the darkness. That's called the moment of fajr. An infijar, right? When something explodes. So it's like something coming out of nothing. It's this opening, right? That's called fujur. So... In the context of your nafs, when there's holes in your nafs, there's fujur. And when, there, when you're protected and there are no holes, you're not allowing anything to penetrate through your nafs, 
you protect it with mu'awwidat, you protect it with dhikr, you've prayed, you've been connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're reading your Quran, you're reading your adhkar, you're being good to people, you're not doing any negative karma, you're not hurting people with your tongue, you're not doing any unjust things, you're not lying, you're not injuring anybody, then you're protected. But the more you suppress your nafs, the more you have fujur, the more openings you have, what are you doing? You're allowing the thorns from outside to come in. You're allowing people to hurt you from the outside. You're allowing for shaitan and negative energy to come in and mess up with your life in the form of negative emotions, in the form of negative thoughts, in the form of even physical disease, guys. A lot of physical diseases today are connected to mental and emotional uh, origins, right? And so people today are sick and suffering from emotional problems, uh, spiritual problems, uh, mental problems. Yes? Mm-hmm. It's been given basically this balance between taqwa and fujur, right? Yes. So Allah has given this, uh, given this nafs the inspiration to either choose to have taqwa or to choose to have fujur. If, if it has fujur, it will be from these people who have lost. And if it's tazkiyah, what does tazkiyah mean? Tazkiyah means to purify, right? And purification is a very big and, and very important theme in the entire Quran. So how does tazkiyah happen? Tazkiyah happens with dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with salah, with Quran. Inshallah, when we come here and, and gather here, all of your nufus, including us, we're getting tazkiyah big time. You walk out from here, you're a different person. You probably can't see it. Maybe we should buy like, right? and we'll measure this stuff. But there's ways to measure it. And if you guys study energy healing and stuff, but there's, there's schools out there that teach this stuff. Uh, study about it. Wallahi, it's, it's really beautiful. But, and that's why, by the way, that's why it's recommended to even pray in jama'ah, right? Because like, your energy along with others, it's spreading and you all like together. And it's proven even in, hatta, in terms of meditation, group meditation has a lot, lot more impact when it uh, happens in, in a group level, right? So you see how like these ayat, Allah's teaching us with ayat what taqwa really means. It means to be protective. Like, this shield that you have around you, where you can walk freely wherever you want and not be afraid. What taqwa does, it makes you fearless to some extent. Why? Because you are protected. Okay? Whereas if you have exposed yourself, if you have zero remembrance of Allah, if you don't not interested in Quran, you're constantly negative thoughts, negative emotions, going through the drama of life, then guess what? This is the mess you're going to have in your life. You're going to be you know, suffering from uh, emotional problems, uh, physical problems, and um, health issues. Where are most people today? Right or left? So that's, this is really the, the science behind it. Right? And Allah, now, now do you see the importance of taqwa, guys? Do you see the importance of taqwa? Why Allah chose this to be the beginning of the Qur'an? Because if you don't have this attitude of I want to protect myself, I love my na'im. My na'im is the most precious thing. I will not anybody penetrate into my space. My nafs is precious. I love my nafs. 
And what, what have unfortunately our, uh, What has our tradition told us about our nafs? Do jihad of nafs Fight against your nafs right? Which is completely not, complete nonsense right? Not in a single place in the Quran Allah told us to do jihad against our nafs Your nafs is something precious It's a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right? Yes yeah, so there's a lot of uh, discussion about that. The wife of um, Al-Aziz said it, right? In the context of Surah Yusuf, yeah. So one view is that should we take her statement to be a divine statement, yani, just because she said it? I mean, she was, uh, in the context of the story, not really a role model to follow. So just because she's justifying it, do we really take it? So that's just one way of looking at it. But it's a very much, much more deeper discussion. So what do we protect? All human beings protect what we value. Yes, women? Diamonds are a girl's best friend still? Or what? Has it changed? It still is, yes? Where have you kept your diamond? It's not there anymore? Okay. So this is old school. What's, what's your best friend now? Madriyani. Your phones. Okay, phone. Where do you keep your jewelry? Why, why, so you have taqwa with your jewelry, huh? You do. All of you do. What about your emails and your gadgets and your laptops? Do you share your passwords with anybody? So you have taqwa with your devices. We all have taqwa with our devices. We all have taqwa with our jewelry. What about your phones? You have taqwa with your phones. All of you have covers and screen protectors. I don't believe in screen protectors. It's a big scam. That's, uh, yeah, covers maybe. Yes? What about countries? Do they have taqwa also? Absolutely. The number one spending is, is on taqwa for countries. Defense. And so human nature is to protect what we value. Yes or no? Allah is telling us that what is the most valuable thing for you? Your nafs. And what has humanity done? It has forgotten the nafs. It has forgotten its own value. And we're paying the price for it now. And so if your car looks like this, chances are you don't value it. Yes or no? Correct? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell us? Surah Al-Hashr. Listen to this, these ayat. Wallahi, it's like so true. Man. Allah says, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ نَسُوا اللَّهَ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنفُسَهُمْ do not be like the ones who forgot Allah and therefore as a consequence they forgot themselves. They are the ones who are truly fasiqun. Fasiqun here means people who get you know, corrupted because they've forgotten their nafs. They have forgotten the value of their nafs and they have no care. They're not protective. They don't have taqwa anymore. They've lost it. So taqwa before iman. Now, now you see why taqwa comes before iman. Because that attitude needs to be in place. I need to protect myself. I love myself. And so God consciousness is there. And you know this. Another meaning of taqwa is. Um, by the way, why is God consciousness also a part of taqwa? Because you know taqwa is often. If you read translations, it's going to be translated as fear. Fear Allah, which is not the right translation, by the way. Okay, because Allah doesn't want us to be scared of Him. But what 
Does Allah... Okay, so we'll talk about this in a second when we come to fear. Yes? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll share with you my perspective on God consciousness, right? You'd rather not be afraid of... We'll talk about fear in a second. But just before that, God consciousness... We all said that what's the most precious part of you? Your nafs. You are, in, in essence, you are this nafs that's connected to your ruh, by the way. Okay? So you are this nafs that's connected to your ruh. And so you're not your body, you're not any of this stuff. And, and your ruh is actually connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have this, you can call it seed of um, divine essence, you can call it. This ruh is a divine essence that's inside of you. And so if you begin to see this in yourself, will you value yourself more? Yes? yes? And will you start to val- value this nafs in others also? Just like you have this nafs, you honor it, you value it. Therefore, all of humanity also have this in common with you, right? All of you have a nafs, and therefore do you demand respect for me also, and love, and care, and, and we need to deal with each other in, in a good way? Yes or no? But when we forget that you have a nafs, then I'm going to probably hurt you or injure you, yes? But when I'm aware, when I'm conscious of the fact that there is this divine essence in all of us, then that's going to protect me from harming others also. I'm going to think twice before I give someone the finger on, in the road, you know, if he's driving like crazy. I'm going to think twice before I am rude with the waiter in the restaurant because he also has this divine essence. I'm going to think twice before I shout at the guy who cleans my car or when I'm rude to my wife because she has this divine essence also. So this God consciousness also is, you can expand it to this idea of Allah has yani, given this divine essence to all of us and therefore I need to be aware, I need to be conscious of this fact all the time. And when do we hurt others? When we forget this, when we forget that they are actually honored by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala themselves. And about fear... Actually, fear is, I agree with you, it's, it's important. It's mentioned in the Quran, um, you know, this idea, It's mentioned, yes, in the Quran. So we can't uh, censor this word from the Quran. It's, it's out there, right? But khawf is different from ru'b in the Arabic language, right? So ru'b means terror. When you're afraid of like, I don't know, uh, horror movies and that kind of stuff, right? That's called ru'b. That's not what Allah is talking about. Khawf is, you can call it, and, and like I mentioned here, fear is love expressed actually. Yes, exactly. So in essence, yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. So think of it as fear of letting or fear of not meeting Allah's expectations, maybe. Yes, please. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yes. So that's that's technically what the, that feeling is actually. Khauf is that feeling of like what you have with your parents, right? When your parents, you know, spend so much money on you and they have expectations from you, you don't want to fail the exam in school because you're afraid that they might get hurt, they might get upset, they might, you know, uh, feel that you haven't met their expectations. So this fear of not meeting expectations, fear of, it's not fear that, oh, my, my parents are going to hit me or something, although some children do have that problem, yes, physical abuse. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about this concept that you fear because you love. Right? Why do people uh, fear death? Because they love themselves, they love their life, yes? Why do, why do you fear your child, uh, I don't know, getting lost or something? Because you love them, yes? You fear your car getting into an accident, why? Because you spend a lot of money on it. So it's actually fear, there's love embedded in this concept. It's embedded, yes. So don't separate them. They're actually the, like two sides of the same coin. Yes, they go hand in hand. So don't think of fear as this negative energy, right? It's actually part of um, the same thing. So I think uh, enough for today. And we will continue the discussion next week about the next ayah, which is describing the muttaqeen in more depth according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right, so in summary, what did we just talk about today is the fact that that is the book. It's from up above. It's the higher authority. It's beyond. It's above science. We talked about the fact that Resolve no doubt first and then talk about guidance, right? Which is a huge challenge for all of us. Talked about the beautiful word guidance, which is a combination of uh, ease and a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the fact that like, just like water, we need it. We talked about muttaqeen, this attitude of being protective, the attitude that I want to save myself and my family. I want to be in my na'im, on the salat al-mustaqeem and I am going to try my best to protect myself because I value my nafs and I value my na'im. Alright, so inshallah until we meet next class, Jazakumullah uh, khair for listening and sorry for taking so much time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.